See how God can use you to help reach the unreachable, next on Abounding Grace. Nebuchadnezzar, he went from an angry, antagonistic man to a willing witness. And God used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very normal, regular people to reach him. And that's our calling. Don't ever forget the church that you've become a part of, this local fellowship family, has a vision, has a direction, has a mandate from God. And we've been able to summarize it in just one word, that we've been put on the planet for one reason, that we are tools in God's hand for one purpose in Aurora and Denver in the metro area, and that's evangelism. It's to build a bridge from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus to people that don't know him. That's it. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Have you ever given up on someone, thinking they are unreachable, too far gone, so stuck in their sinful ways they'd never possibly turn to God? Well, the same thing might have been said about the Apostle Paul, or the guy we'll hear about in just a moment. But we're reminded today, no one is beyond God's reach. God is good and gracious and able to reach the unreachable. That comes shining through as we open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 4 on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with part one of God Reaches the Unreachable. Daniel chapter 4, as we start a new chapter, Daniel chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, God Reaches the Unreachable. And this will be the first part of a couple of studies as we begin to contemplate those in our lives that we seem and deem, they seem to be, and we deem are unreachable, or they'll never believe, or they'll never change. You know, they're caught up in addiction, they're caught up in themselves, they're caught up in bitterness, and they, they just are in a category, whether we say it or not, that we think they're unreachable, we think it's impossible, no way, never. And whether we admit it or not, there seems to be those in our lives that are just way out there and seem to be unreachable. And we come to the Bible and we go, well, you know, I know God loves the world, but that guy's outside of the world. She's just too far. And we think, here's a few categories that I was thinking, I was jotting my notes down. You know, when we think of things going on in the Middle East, we think of the word terrorist. And we just say, you know, they're just beyond the reach of God, terrorists. Or criminals, felons, or those that just seem to cause us headaches and heartaches, people that we work with, people that are a boss. Maybe it's an aunt, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's a sister or a brother. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? With all of our love for God and all of our faith and all of our hope, there are those that we just still think, whether we admit it or not, are beyond the reach of God. And we're reminded today, as we've seen before, that no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is beyond God's reach. I think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, jot it down in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. 
He writes, and I'm reading from the New Living. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose those things that are despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And you have to look, I've been overwhelmed personally lately on the grace of God in my own life. As I'm out at these various conferences sharing, you're pretty much familiar with my story. You've been here for a while, but other people aren't. And so in order to build a bridge, and hopefully God giving me credibility to teach God's word to them, I share a little bit of my life with them, a little bit of the reality that I'm not much different than the people that are in front of me, and that, man, I've come from a real difficult background. It could have been worse, but it was bad nonetheless. And as I begin to share some of my testimony, it's just, I I compare it to what God's doing in my life right now, and I'm just overwhelmed by the grace of God. I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God just in my life, let alone yours. Like, who am I to deserve what God? Where was I exactly? There was no redeeming quality in my life when God intervened. There was nothing really to salvage or to save from man's eyes. And yet God saw so much more. And it begs the question in our time today is, you know, when's the last time you were just overwhelmed with the grace of God in your life? Where would you be today? Or would you even be here today? Not in this building, but alive, had it not been for the grace of God. Would you enjoy what you're enjoying? And immediately, some of you are in deep pain right now and deep difficulty. And so you associate the grace of God and the goodness of God. And it's got clouded and it's, it's been clouded a little bit by the pain that you're in. And so you're not enjoying it as much because, yeah, if I was so gracious, then God wouldn't have let me do this. And if God was so good, he wouldn't have allowed this. And if God was so good, he would have prevented this. And you've skewed the goodness of God by your experience and by your emotion. But you see, God is good whether you agree with that or not. And God is faithful whether you acknowledge that or not. And even in the midst of the deepest heartache, God, he is good to you and to me. And not everything is going to go our way. And not everything is going to end the way we want it to end or end according to plan. But God is still good. And he is able to reach the unreachable. This little family of churches, but it's not exclusive, but our little family of churches is filled with the unreachables. The whole movement was started by a generation that was written off by this world. That parents just gave up on their kids for good reason. You see some of the pictures and, you know, you look at the pictures of Woodstock and stuff, man, the hippies were whacked out. And you're, some of you go, man, I was a hippie. You come, yes, yes. If you forgot, go back and look. Well, I don't remember. I, you know, I don't remember. Well, look at the pictures. You'll see. Your parents, some of your parents even gave up on you. But God didn't give up on you. He saw beyond the drugs. And he saw beyond the free sex. And he saw beyond the, this desire to express yourself and get attention and, and just free love and free spirit. And it really doesn't matter what captivates culture. It doesn't really matter what the big deal is. We see a, a whole different environment in our culture now, a whole different darkness. But that doesn't intimidate God. He's not intimidated by the LGBTQXYZ generation. He loves them. Do you? Do you love those that are caught and captivated by sin? Oh, it's a little more offensive these days. You bet. It's right in your face. 
But sin is offensive to God, whether you see it or not. So really, nothing's changed. What's changed is the behavior and the expression of lostness. Lostness. And while that wasn't a particular sin in my life, when God reached me, I was in a condition of lostness. I was lost. I was blinded. And I was this generation that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to, bring, to confound the wise. Or as it says, he, think, he chose the things that are counted as nothing at all. Count it as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And in every generation, God has reached down to the guttermost, as D.L. Moody once said, to the guttermost to change and transform lives. And you and I as believers, we either choose to participate in it or become a critic. Critics don't participate. They sit in the stands and find out everything that's wrong and point fingers at what it's wrong. And critics, they're not involved in the game. God has saved us to involve us. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad that he does. Nebuchadnezzar, when we come to chapter 4, is another one of those men that I'm glad God chose to intervene in his life. This is the world ruler uh, of, the known of that time. The, of the known world, this is the ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. Unreachable in so many real practical ways. Not the kind of guy you'd be able to walk up to and shake his hand. Not the kind of guy you'd have a conversation with. Not the kind of guy that you'd have a, a coffee at a coffee shop with or a meal at McDonald's. This is an unreachable guy in every category practically. And then from a perspective distance-wise, this is the kind of guy that if you don't do what he tells you to do, he has a furnace fired seven times hotter and he throws you in. He, he is an unreachable man in every category. Of all the people in the world, he is the least likely candidate to encounter God. He's powerful. He's prosperous. He's self-sufficient. He's successful. In a world, he is the ruler and pompous and prideful. And this, the consequence or the conclusion we would come to is that there's no way I could reach him. If you were given, hey, I want you to go meet Nebuchadnezzar and go share the gospel with him, you'd start to process all that and go, that isn't going to happen. Even if I wrote him a letter or sent him a private message on Instagram, he's not going to get it. He's got people that read those for him. We will not be able to reach him. And so with a man like that, we're introduced to a section of Scripture where we're reminded again that God is not intimidated by Nebuchadnezzar. There is no such thing as the fear of man in God. There's no such thing. He's not intimidated by any of the power or prosperity, anything. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar has, God has given to him and entrusted to him. And now take that person in your life who doesn't really measure up to Nebuchadnezzar, but could be very close, that man, that woman, and consider this truth. They are not out of reach. Remember this guy's name, Nebuchadnezzar. We looked on an earlier study weeks ago at Saul of Tarsus, another man that we consider a terrorist in his day a murder on behalf of God. And yet God reached him on the road to Damascus in a supernatural way. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is wanting everyone to repent. 
We memorize this scripture in the New King James. You might remember it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That our God is patient and loving, and he's a saving God. And Nebuchadnezzar finds this out, notice, in verse 1 of chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever and his rule through all generations. These are the words of a changed man. You turn a page to one chapter to the next and the miraculous work of God has happened by the persevering work that he had over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God used circumstances in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And he used circumstances combined with his people, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. He, he used these four young men with circumstances, and in this case also dreams, to get to the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And I have found that to be a formula that God uses often. Circumstances and people. Circumstances and God's people. Where he'll allow circumstances in a person's life to grab and grasp their attention. And for the alert believer, for the believers not whining and complaining about their station in life, which Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego could easily have complained that they have left comfort and ease, been literally kidnapped taken away, which was culturally uh, something that you would expect when you were overtaken by another country, and they could have easily bemoaned the reality of their present life, but they didn't. They embraced it. They embraced the will of God in their life. They took a stand without compromise, which only positioned them to be there for the circumstances of this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And what does he say? Peace and prosperity to you. Peace and prosperity. How do we know of God's great power? Because of the peace and prosperity he extends. Because you have a testimony. And I have a testimony of God's faithfulness. And your testimony is a powerful tool to reach those around us. It's our story. It's, it's unique to you and it's unique to me. It, we have overlapping pieces of our testimony where God intersects our lives together but we all come from a different upbringing, different background, different families. We all have family, we all have situations, and yet what we all enjoy in Christ is his faithfulness. And we're about to hear this great, how great are his signs and his wonders that he experienced as every single one of us has a past, and every single one of us have encountered God, and every single one of us can testify to the change of God in our lives. Turn over to John chapter 9, would you please? John's gospel, chapter 9. You know, the Pharisees in this chapter are enraged over a miracle. And yet the man that was healed from his blindness does not back down. The young man in John chapter 9 has just, man, he has been delivered. Jesus is walking around in verse 1 and there's a man that was blind from birth, it says in verse 1. And Jesus, he heals him. And notice verse 11. It says, well, pick up in verse 10, really. They, the Pharisees chase him down and they say, who healed you and what happened? And the man that was healed said, 
The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I see. Well, where is he now, they asked. And he says, I don't know. Now, that's part of his testimony. What happened to you? Well, this guy named Jesus, he made some mud put on my eyes. That's his testimony. You know, he can't make it up. He can't change it. He, he can't, it, this is what happened to him. And I would say, even if your testimony involves a little bit of mud, don't be ashamed. It's your story. I know it sounds weird. Like, where is, what happened to you? Well, um, um, you know, I met this guy and, and uh, he made some mud and he put it on my eyes and now I see. What? That's part of my story. No, it's verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind. And now he sees. So they called in his parents. And they asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? And his parents said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now his parents were a little afraid because they didn't want to be thrown out of their lifestyle. They didn't want to lose everything. But they noticed, they said, it's his story. Ask him. Because you have a story. You may find somebody is so enthralled with your story, so, so your story so inspires them that they actually send people to you so you can tell them your story. Ask them. We know he was born blind. I grew up with the guy. I know I raised him. I gave birth to him. I know all about him. But you need to ask him his story. Jump to verse 24. For the second time, it says, they called the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner, verse 25. And I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. And mark those words. This is his testimony. I know this. I was blind, but now I see. That's how confident we are. You know, the people like to argue about a lot of things when it comes to the things of God. They like to argue about Bible versions. They like to argue about uh, different little technicalities in the Bible. There'll always be somebody you meet to go, oh, I don't believe in the Bible because there's so many contradictions. And then when you ask them, tell me one, they don't know because they've never read the Bible. And so they don't know. They're just kind of throwing things to your way that, that will try to knock you off your feet. And depending on where you are in your maturity level, depending on how long you've been walking with the Lord, it can stumble you. I still, to this day, get stumbled by some of these crafty arguments that people come up with. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a good one. And, and I need to study that. I need to look. I like, there will be times where people will be so convincing. And you're just like, i got to shake your head for a second. I go, no, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. But when I share my testimony, and people want to argue with me about my testimony, they want to tell me it wasn't that bad, or, you know, that really didn't happen to you, or whatever, I can always respond, look, bro, I know what I know. I was there. You weren't there. I, I know and I can say it this way, I was blind, but now I see. That is a common thing that happens in the fellowship here where, you know, I'll share a testimony, things somebody will hear on the radio, and then they'll show up to visit, and they'll look, and they'll tell me, you don't, you don't look like I thought you would look. Because it sounds like on the radio, you'd be all beat up, and, you know, your testimony is so bad. And, and, you know, people think pastors were, like, born with glasses. Like, they came out of the room, and they were glasses, and you, you just look like a pastor. And, you know, sometimes they'll show up and go, you don't even look like a pastor. Well, what do pastors look like? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. I was there. I lived my life. 
and what portions of my life I remember, it's true. And for those of you that share your testimony, you know there's portions of your life that you wish weren't true, that you wish weren't a part of your testimony. And like this blind guy, I've always come and rip it. No, that didn't happen. That can't be true. That didn't. I look, bro, I, I know what I know. And I can think back to 28 years every day, all day, every day for 28 years, God has been faithful. And he has done what he promised. And that he's faithful to complete it even to the day of Jesus Christ. So be confident in what God's doing in your life. Be confident. Your testimony is powerful. Nebuchadnezzar has trans- is transformed. He went from an angry, antagonistic man to a willing witness. And God used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very normal, regular people to reach him. And that's our calling. Don't ever forget your calling, church. Don't ever forget the church that you've become a part of, this local fellowship family, has a vision, has a direction, has a mandate from God. And we've been able to summarize it in just one word, that we've been put on the planet for one reason, that we are tools in God's hand for one purpose in Aurora and Denver in the metro area, and that's evangelism. It's to build a bridge from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus to people that don't know him. That's it. What a privilege when you stop to think of it. God has a calling on our lives and wants to use us to reach the so-called unreachable. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has been recalling the conversation of King Nebuchadnezzar and how God reached him. We hope you found it encouraging. And you can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the Calvary Aurora app. Pastor Ed, I'm thinking of the parent of a wayward child right now. Or maybe it's someone listening that has a friend or coworker that seems unreachable, and they've been praying for them for years and still no change. What words of encouragement would you like to leave with them as we close? Well, you know, Larry, this is a very hard situation to endure and. The first word of encouragement that I would give to you parents is that you are loved by God and every single parent has made mistakes. Because I know when it comes to prodigal kids, parents take a a burden upon themselves. Like I w- I'm a failure and I did everything wrong and it's all my fault. Listen, your kids have to take responsibility for their decisions but I'm sorry that you're facing this because this isn't the way you raised them. This isn't the way you taught them. Uh, Even though you look back and go, man, I could have done this and I should have done that and I would have done this, but the could have's and the would have's and the should have's just rob us of the the need to, to live by faith, trusting our kids to the Lord. You are so precious to the heart of God that, Jesus shared a story just for you of the prodigal son, and it's a story you want to hang on to because we know that as that young man went out to the world and lived in the world and did his own thing, he had to come to the end of himself. And that's something you want to be praying for your kids. Keep the lines of communication open. Have a relationship with your kids that is separate from their backsliding ways. I know that's like the foremost part in your life, but they love them, serve them, care for them, and don't make their backsliding the only thing you ever talk about. Talk about their kids, talk about their marriage, talk about their work, 
talk about their childhood uh, and be open to the Holy Spirit to plant and water because God gives the increase. And I know that it, it, there's a day they're coming back. Your prodigal kids are coming back. Trust God for that. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. Yes, these are frightening times for many in our world today. But how can we as Christians stand courageously? In Tom Doyle's book, Standing in the Fire, you'll be encouraged as you read about certain heroes of the faith that stood strong in the face of danger. We too can stand courageously in the fire we're faced with. Request a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we look to our listeners to help us remain a biblical voice on this station, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's kingdom work. You'll be helping people all across the nation to become a man or woman that God can use. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also donate through the app. Well, don't miss our next study in Daniel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.